Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Sacramento is Amy Barnard-Bond. Amy is an executive coach and a longtime member of the compliance community. And today we're going to be talking about bad news. Uh, first, Amy, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and shed light on this often dark subject. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Now, let's talk about bad news. Um, one of the problems is people seem to be inclined, and we are as a species, to shoot the messenger. Um, why are we so inclined to do so? Well, we know from social science research that bad events impact us five times more than good ones. We aren't programmed to want to hear bad news. Um, it's a self-protection thing that's just been handed down as we've evolved and haven't evolved far from that at all in terms of fight or flight. And further studies on this have shown that bad news messengers are not only deemed unlikable and less competent, but that some malevolence is ascribed to them. So as people, we're meaning makers and we unfairly transfer ill intent on the person that's delivering the message to the point that we actually even may believe the messenger wanted it to happen. So choosing a role like compliance or legal, a role that often conveys boundaries or tough news, adds to this sense of blame. We chose our profession, our fate. So that can be a real backlash for compliance. That's tough. And, you know, obviously we don't choose to say no unless we have to or give bad news. Sure. I mean, we're here sure. about solving the problem just like they are. The, the part of the problem with this is we need to know the truth, both to function well and also an organization and may have disclosure obligations. Mm -hmm. How do we reinforce the importance of sharing even internally, not just good news? Well, we've got to get better at this, at giving and receiving bad news. There's an art and a skill to doing this well. So let's talk about sort of that art and skill. It's always going to be a rough road for compliance people. How can compliance officers make the road a bit smoother for themselves when bringing bad news? I, as I understand, you've developed a whole process uh, towards that, right? Um, I did. I was really fascinated by this topic, Adam, because I think we have to get better at it. So I wanted to try to help. So I interviewed dozens of clients and other people from people who had served in Afghanistan to Wall Street um, and money managers to understand their bad news stories in writing a, a keynote that I just did and where they had done well and where they had gone poorly. And I codified the themes into a six step process. So you can you take us through them or at least part of them? Sure, sure. So number one is psychologically prepare your audience. Number two is rehearse confident delivery. Third, be present and fully focused. Fourth, convey benevolent, proactive intent. Five, explain without justifying. And six, add a sense of urgency. And this is on my website where anybody can download it. Well, those sound like great steps and, and, and very logical, though. There's a lot of nuance, I'm sure, with all of them. Can you take us through at least some of them during the limited time that we have here? Sure. Why don't I start with psychologically prepare your audience, because I think that's one that's often overlooked. We understand in compliance the importance of psychological safety 
when people are coming forward to report. And the same principles need to be applied when we're delivering bad news. Think about safety to both yourself and to the recipients hearing the bad news. You know, trust depends on truth, which depends on trust. It, it's a two-way street and our brains don't work the same when we're surprised. Surprise, Adam, causes us to freeze one twenty-fifth of a second. Do you know that? So, and when the news is for the worse, our negative emotions shoot up 400%. So if you don't warn people and give them a heads up, they're going to be jolted both physically and emotionally. So what I would say is psychologically prepare your audience to reduce that shock and negativity they might feel when they hear the information. So they trust that you're telling the truth and they're ready to hear you. You can calibrate expectations by saying, I wish I had better news or starting off with a sentence that indicates, okay, I've got something coming up that, that you need to hear. And then how long will it last? You know, give them the context. What's the estimated cost? What needs to change? Those kinds of things that so they can move into a problem solving mode and not into a flight or fight mode. You know, as you said that, two, two thoughts came to mind. One is, of course, we've all seen that in our lives. You're walking down the street, talking with a friend. One or the other gives shocking news and the person just stops dead in their mm -hmm, tracks. And mm -hmm, sometimes yeah. it is for drama's sake, but a lot of times is it is such an overwhelming thought that it's hard to do something as basic as walking. And it also reminded me of something that's kind of funny that uh, an old client used to do with her husband is whenever one of them wanted to make a purchase, they had an agreement that the uh, they would say, I want to buy something. And the other one's first question was always, is there a comma involved <laughs> as a way to sort of get an expectation of how much money's at stake and that's brace great. themselves accordingly. And I, I think, you know, obviously that's a lot more trivial than what we're talking about here, but I think that kind of example of setting expectations can very much help frame the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, you talked a bit about um, conveying benevolent proactive intent, which I, I love that term. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Well, we, the idea here is we want to overcome the the kind of animalistic impression that we somehow wanted this to happen or we were involved in it or or we are somehow to blame and um unless unless you are but even if you are you know i had one case for example where a client made a big mistake in legal benefits that were under his watch and it cost the company millions of dollars and he offered his resignation and owned the problem and he had a letter ready and pushed it across the table and, and the other person pushed it back and him and said, that's not necessary. Let's just talk about how we're going to fix this. But that's an example of his doing that and being ready to take the hit, even though he personally didn't make the mistake, but it was on his watch with direct reports that, that you know, reported to him. So it was his, this is an example of conveying benevolent proactive intent. He made an immediate apology. He had a, a remediation plan. He told the truth, even when it hurt, um, he showed he cared, uh, you know, and he immediately moved to potential solutions on how to fix the benefit plans and, and had it all up, lined up. So you may or may not have had the, a hand in the event. It might've been your team. It might've been a subcontractor, might've been something completely out of your control. But I think reminding, the, and this is usually in the case of bosses, reminding them that they hired you to do this job 
by expressing empathy and then moving to how can we fix it? How can we repair it? How can we get paid back over time? Whatever it is, just to communicate the path forward, the efforts underway to help prevent it from happening again and compassion around it, demonstrating some warmth around it emphasizes your intent as a trusted advisor. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing something for the long term, because once the mistake happens, it's it's you can't you know go back and change history. I mean, you know, to look a little behind the curtain of life at an association years ago when I was in a previous job and putting together a customer meeting, I asked a, a cousin who's in a meeting planner, what do I need to know? And she told me something that once the meeting starts, once something goes wrong, it's not a question of why. It's only a question of what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And it's a, a great admonition because it does allow you to focus on what you need to do at hand and also starts le leading people to where they want to go. And, and, and your point on ownership, I think, is a really good one because there is a natural tendency for people to leap to who do we blame for this. Um, and by doing that, you sort of take that off the table and assume the mantle of guilt, responsibility, whatever, so that nobody has to feel that they need to, um, you know, put it on you. But one question this does lead me to think is, is part and parcel of something sort of outside of this that I see is, you know, we talk a lot as a society about a zero tolerance policy for things, and that's somewhat morphed into, you know, not literally, but the death penalty. You know, you do something, you're kicked out, you're fired. Um, to me, you know, especially when it comes to compliance issues, life's not always that black and white. Some issues are terminatable offenses. Others, um, we probably want to talk to the employee or manager or whatever. How do we help people? Um, I think part of this is understanding that even all bad news is not always worst case scenario. True. True. No, it can be moderated. And I think people that are good at this might have a system like your friends with the, with the comma. They might say, well, is it a one or a five, you know, or is it a three, right? If you mm -hmm. get used to having these conversations and that can help, um, you know, adjust the response and. And hopefully the, deliver something that's consistent, appropriate, and all of those things. Right. And, ho and hopefully leave you in a position so that when you come in with the bad news in the future, people know that you have a sense of proportion and what to be done with it. Well, right. Amy, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Chiltaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.